0: All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mark Rushworth, and I'm one of the leaders of uh, Christ Central Church, and I'm delighted to be able to welcome you to the second talk in our One Big Question series. Earlier in the fall, we conducted a survey, and it was simply this. If you could ask God one question, and you knew it would be answered, what would it be? And we had all kinds of questions came in. What we did was we took the top five, and um, the five most commonly asked questions, and we decided to look at those every Sunday in the month of November. And we, uh, as I said, we uh, we had all sorts of questions. Some didn't make the cut of the top five. Here's one: uh, It was simply this: Why is Mark Rushworth so good looking? <laughs> it was a genuine question that came in. It wasn't from my wife. It, they even spelled my name wrong. Um, <laughs> I, that was only asked once, though, so we're not looking at that one. Um, <laughs> I actually do know who asked it, and uh, it was—I uh, think it was a guy, a friend of mine, John. <laughs> Just so no one's too concerned. <laughs> Anyway, it, you can catch up on last week's question, which was, uh, where are you? And Joe looked at that last week, and that's on YouTube, or you can look at christcentral.ca and uh, and find that message. We've got three more coming up after this week. Uh, next week, Dr. Doug Gillum is going to be looking at, uh, does science rule you out? Um, Doug Gillum is one of the forecasters at the Weather Network in Ontario, and uh, he's going to be doing a great talk on that, I'm sure, I've enjoyed talking to him, we're actually going to set up a question and answer session later in the following week with him, we're going to do that on Zoom, and uh, it will be excellent for people to be able to engage, to ask questions on that topic, so that's, that's coming up, and it's exciting, uh, we've got what's up with 2020, I'm going to be looking at that one in two weeks' time, and then finally Dave Fellingham is going to be looking at where, um, is there life after death, the whole topic of heaven, and uh, the afterlife. So, got some exciting things coming up. Um, today's question is a huge one, and it is a difficult one. Um, and it's this God, why do you allow suffering? Why do you allow suffering? And that's the title we gave to this talk. Um, it summarized a number of different individual questions which were submitted. So, here's some of the questions which were submitted that fed into this topic Why do you allow suffering? Someone asked, Why is there so much suffering in the world? Someone said, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do some people suffer so much while others don't? How do you choose which people suffer health-related issues, especially children? Someone asked, why does God heal some and not others? Someone else asked, why did my little daughter end up with diabetes? And someone said, why does someone who does everything to help others end up with cancer and end up dying? And there were others as well. So, these are great questions. And some people ask this question about suffering, and they ask it in a kind of intellectual or logical way. We might say for them it's a, it's a head problem. Um, It's one which might cause them to doubt the existence of God, even. Uh, Their argument will often go like this. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, then he wouldn't permit suffering. So the fact that suffering does exist means that there either isn't a God or that God isn't all-loving. He could stop suffering, but he chooses not to. Or he's not all-powerful. He loves people, but actually he can't do anything about suffering to prevent it. So the argument goes, therefore, the God of the Bible, who is described as all-loving and all-powerful, cannot exist. That's the argument that some people would put about God. It's a, it's a logical issue that they're talking about. They're thinking about it logically, intellectually. And it seems to make a lot of sense And for some people, it's a real issue. And we will look at that in a moment. We're going to look at that head problem. But for others, as we can just tell from the cards that I've just read out, um, it's very much a personal or an emotional objection to God and not an emotional in a bad way or you're being over-emotional. You know, it, it affects our emotions. We might say it's a heart problem. I believe actually this is a much more common Um, issue for people than the head problem. Um, Some people even who think they've got head issues, logical issues about God, actually if you talk to them a little bit further you find out they've been affected quite um, strongly by suffering. I'm going to trip over that. Um, They've been affected quite a lot by suffering and there's a heart issue going on as, as well. Uh, which causes them to doubt God's love for them. So someone who's got a heart objection to God with suffering says this, even if God does exist, I don't trust him. He's not somebody that I would want to submit my life to because how can I trust someone who will allow those people who I love to go through the kind of suffering I've seen them go through? That's a very real issue for many, many people. It can be very raw. And in addressing this topic this morning, I want to be very sensitive to people, either here in person or online, um, who may well be going through some very terribly difficult things, because that suffering is very real, and it's very painful, and the questions that they have are very genuine and heartfelt. So this morning, we're going to look at the question from both angles. Uh, it's a big question. We probably won't have time to do it fully justice in the time that we have, but I'll try my best. So to begin with, I'm going to look at the logical question that, as to whether suffering actually disproves the existence of God. So you remember the argument that we said? Um, if there was an all-loving and all-powerful God, he would make sure that there wasn't any suffering in the world. Well, the fact that suffering does happen must mean that there can't be an all-loving and an all-powerful God. And for quite some time this was known, even in philosophical circles, even among uh, academics, this was seen as quite a strong and powerful argument against the existence of God. Um, But now more and more people are feeling maybe it's not as strong an argument logically as it might have seemed to be because the question has an underlying assumption and it's this. This is the question with the underlying assumption. It says, there can't be an all-powerful, all-loving God who allows suffering, and then the underlying assumption is, unless he has a good reason for that suffering to take place. So there could be an all-powerful, an all-loving God if there was good reason for him to allow that suffering. Now, of course, we can't imagine, most of the time, what that reason would be. But here's the thing. Just because we... Can't see the reason that God allows suffering. Logically, that doesn't mean that there isn't a reason that God allows suffering. In fact, it's logical that if God is infinitely more knowledgeable than we are, He could very well have a good reasons to allow suffering that we just could not understand, that we can't see with our limited understanding. You see, we live in a society where people like to know all of the reasons behind everything. We want answers for everything. We need to know the reasons. But some other societies, that's not so much of an issue for them. In those societies, they may say, well, I can't think of a good reason why God would allow this suffering to happen. But my knowledge is extremely limited. So this is just a mystery to me. Just because we're not able to see a good reason that suffering happens doesn't mean there is not a good reason. Sometimes we just can't see things. Let me give you an example. Here's a picture of our dog, Lola. Generally, you will know when Lola is around in the room, usually because she's licking you. But as happened last week, uh, she was out in the yard. Sometimes Lola is around and you just can't see her. So here's a picture that I took last week of our backyard and, uh, and there's Lola in the picture. But is she? It can be difficult to see her. Anyone who's seeing this for the first time can spot Lola there. Now, it's a little difficult if you're in this. In this. Sorry? I see her. You've seen her? Okay, I'm going to give you a clue. Well, I'm going to tell you where she is. There she is. <laughs> okay, we'll do a close-up. Yay! <laughs> She was pretty well camouflaged. Someone once said, "Have you ever realized it 's impossible to know if you 've got a chameleon in your room?" <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there, are other question, there are other creatures as well that we don't know if they 're there. No, we, uh, in North America, there are creatures called noceums, we nickname them noseums, uh, because we can 't see them, but we feel them if they bite us um, but they exist even if we can't see them. All this to say, and this comes from someone called Plantinger. He came up with this example. It wasn't my example. Um, he said, look, there are, there are reasons to believe that there's a, re- there's a good reason why God allows suffering even if we don't understand it, even if we can't understand what it is. Secondly, on this head problem, this logical problem, and I, I don't have a lot of time to go into depth on this one, But the very fact that we just intuitively know and we feel that a world with so much suffering and pain and sickness and death, we just know it's wrong. We know it's not right. We know it's unjust. That actually points to the fact that there is a God. It points to the fact that there is a God who tells us it's not supposed to be like this. Because if there was no God, if there was no God at all and we were just living you know, it was just all random and we were living by evolution, uh, ethics and survival of the fittest and everything. Well, we wouldn't necessarily see human suffering as wrong. It's just the way the world is. In the same way that in the animal kingdom, we, um, we have creatures killing other creatures just for food. That's just the way it is. And a lion might go and attack a, a wildebeest and eat it for food. It doesn't necessarily, we don't say that lion's a murderer. It's just the way that the world is. Yet that's not the case for human beings. That's not the case for us. We know it's not like that. And the fact that there's an objective difference between right and wrong, we tend to know these things are wrong. These things are right. Murder is wrong. You know, rape is wrong. These things are wrong. Well, who's to say? Only God only a God can say the difference between right and wrong. And we know inside that it's not supposed to be like that. So that's the logical, and I've done it very briefly, but that's a logical approach to dealing with the question of suffering. If you're a logical thinker, if it was been a head issue for you, hopefully you found that helpful. There's a lot more I could have said. If you aren't a head thinker, if you're coming at this question from a heart perspective of, well, how can I trust a God? How can I follow a God who would allow people to go through so much suffering? Then hopefully this second part of the talk will be more helpful to you. So, before we get into that in more detail, here's a question. Because we've said we can't, Necessarily know the reasons God's got for suffering, but many people have tried. And in fact, the Bible does give us some reasons for some suffering. So here's a few different things that people have said about why God might allow suffering. Some people would say, well, it it all comes down to free choices. It comes down to three choices. God allows us to choose between right and wrong. We see that right in the Garden of Eden, don't we? We see God created Adam and Eve and he gave them the whole of the Garden of Eden and he said you can eat the fruit of any tree in this garden apart from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. If you eat the fruit from that tree, then you will surely die. Death is going to come into the world. And he gave them a choice and they chose to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. And there were consequences for that choice. So people would say, well, if you don't give a free choice, if, if, you just, if there is no way to choose evil, then we're just all robots. Then we're just all, you know, to be able to see good in the world, you've got to have evil. To be able to choose good, you've got to be able to choose evil. So if someone chooses to kill another human being, as Adam and Eve's um, sons did, Cain killed Abel, his brother, then a lot of suffering is going to come about. That argument makes a lot of sense. A lot of suffering is caused by the choices that people make. But not everyone's suffering is caused by that. The girl who, who was born and had diabetes, that wasn't choices that people made. Some people would say, well, there's suffering because of physical laws, so if you run into a post, you're going to hurt yourself. You know, if you go tearing uh, through a post, you're going to hurt yourself. If you, if you fall from a, a great height onto concrete, you might die. There's various different things that happen. That's just because of physical laws. Some things are hard. Some things are going to be painful. You're going to be suffering. Other people say, well, suffering actually is God shaping our character. When we go through suffering, that's how God deals with our character. And, and the Bible says that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, it says, suffering. Produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So, God is doing something in our lives with our character sometimes through our suffering. But we still have some questions when it comes to that because we might look at at people around us, people who we know, and we might think, do you know what they could really do with going through some suffering because their character really needs shaping on this? And there's other people who we look at who have got wonderful characters and they just seem to suffer all the time. And you think, well, why are they going through that? Surely they've been through enough. So we still have some questions of God sometimes on this. And some people say, well, suffering just happens because we're we're now in a sinful world. And people and organizations and, and governments are generally out for themselves, you know, a lot of the time. And that does create suffering for other people. But again, we can still have questions about that because a lot of good people seem to suffer and a lot of people who don't seem to be doing good seem to get away with it. And, and there's questions about that in the Bible as well. There's one long book in the Bible which does address the issue of suffering and that is the book of Job. Job is described as being a good man. He's, be, he's a righteous man. He loves God. And yet he suffered and he lost everything. He lost his wealth, he lost his family, he lost his health. And Job has some friends who come to him and they say, oh, okay. And they think they know why Job is suffering. They think they've got the answer and they come to him and they say things like, Job, you must be suffering because you've done something wrong. You know, you've offended God in some way. God's punishing you for what you've done. And Job says, no, 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 I haven't. I've searched my heart. I've not done anything wrong. And they say, No, there must be something. You've got to have done something wrong. And it it does Job no good at all. Sometimes that can happen. That's where we get the phrase Job's comforters from. Sometimes people do that today uh, with people who are suffering. It's not a great idea. Job's comforters. Telling people they know why someone is suffering. Do you know what the lesson to learn from the book of Job in this is don't try to explain why any particular suffering is taking place in someone. It's just not a good idea to try and explain when someone is going through a whole lot of suffering. In fact, the best answer that we can give in that situation, if someone says, why has God allowed this suffering to happen? The best answer to give is, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes, a lot of the time, we just don't know why God has allowed certain suffering to happen. Many, many people have got their own story about suffering, which seems so tragic and seems so incomprehensible. Let me tell you about a family who Debbie and I knew Who, uh, when we were living in Sheffield in the UK. We'd been leading our church youth group, and one of the members of that youth group uh, who also came along to our church, we knew her, really well was a young lady called Alison Greaves. There she is on the left of that picture and she's with her um, dad Alan and her mom Maureen. And Maureen and Alan didn't attend our church. They were very involved in the local Anglican church. Alan used to play the church organ and Maureen often spoke at the church as a lay preacher. They were very involved in the community outreach projects, working with people who are poor and vulnerable. They were a wonderful couple. Debbie and I used to go around to their house often, and they would would sometimes host our youth meetings for us. Uh, Just an amazing family. Alison was a young woman who loved God so much. And actually, when she left uh, school and left education, she decided to move to Mozambique, and she became a missionary out in Mozambique and uh, ended up adopting two uh, beautiful children who she came across who'd been orphaned. On Christmas Eve uh, 2012, just after 11 o'clock at night, Alison's dad, Alan, headed out to play the church organ at midnight mass um, at his local church. It used to run through 11.30 till about 12.30 in the morning. Maureen stayed at home with Alison. Alison had just returned home to visit uh, the family for the first time in two years. They were looking forward to having a great family Christmas together. Alan walked to the church building as he always did, Um, but after about 10 minutes of walking, he was suddenly, without any provocation at all, attacked violently by two young local men, beaten around the head, and left unconscious. He was taken to hospital. The police came round and knocked on Maureen's door around midnight and uh, told him he'd been um, injured. And she went to be with him. And she said she was unable to even recognize his face because of just the severity of the beating that he'd taken. And he died soon afterwards from his injuries on Christmas Day. And the question that so many of us were asking when we heard about it is, why? Why, God? Why, God, did you allow that to take place? Why? Why to them? And there was no other answer other than, I don't know. We didn't know. We don't know. How can God allow a family who all love and serve God so much, how can he allow them to endure such unimaginable pain and suffering and loss On Christmas Day. And and that's just one story. Other people will have stories too. Real questions. So, what does the Bible tell us about suffering? Where is God in all of this? Is there any comfort to be had at all? Well, I believe that there is, and I believe that we can find hope. Let's look first of all in the Old Testament at the story of Joseph. Joseph, many of us will know the story. Joseph was his father's favorite son, um, which caused his brothers to be very jealous. He he wasn't overly humble at the time. He used to boast about the dreams that he had and say to his brothers, oh, I had this dream about you all bowing down before me. Didn't go over too well. Doesn't tend to do that, kids. Don't, Don't take that one on board not a good idea. His brothers really had had enough at one point and they decided they were going to throw him into a pit. At first they were going to kill him, then they decided to throw him in a pit and then sell him into slavery. And uh, they went back and told their father that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. So it wasn't looking too good for Joseph, but Joseph had good character. He, uh, he worked on the humility thing and he worked hard and he got a job um, and, and he, he did well in his job and, and Rose up well, got some responsibility until his boss's wife decided that she was going to seduce him. And uh, she made approaches to him. He actually fled from that. He ran away. He said, I don't want anything to do with that. And he ran away. But the boss's wife actually was humiliated by that. And so she told her husband, she said, oh, Joseph tried to seduce me. He tried to attack me. And the boss believed her and threw Joseph into Prison, and he remained there for many years. And God eventually turned things around, even later than he ever thought it was going to turn around. But he did eventually turn things around. Joseph interpreted a dream that the Pharaoh had um, at the time about a famine. He explained that there was going to be a famine that was going to come uh, in seven or eight years' time, and he was given the job of prime minister by Pharaoh to store up surplus food. And when the famine came and struck the whole region, he would be able to distribute all of that food. It would save people's lives. In the end, that's exactly what happened. And uh, many people during this famine came from all around uh, the region uh, for food because that was, uh, Egypt was the only country who'd got surplus food because of what Joseph had done. And uh, his own brothers even came to Joseph and asked for food. And Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him. Eventually, Joseph revealed the whole thing to them. And uh, they fell at his feet. And Joseph said this in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives, I guess through the um, distribution of the food. These can be difficult words to get our heads around, but here's a statement from Joseph about his own suffering. This was about his own suffering that he's going through, and he's talking about a God who is good and a God who is all-powerful. A God who is good and a God who is all-powerful and in control. And he says this, God intended it for good. He's not saying God couldn't do anything to stop it, but then he turned it all around in the end and he made it better. You know, he made the best of the situation. He's not saying that. He's saying this was God's intention. God intended it for good. Now, he wouldn't have been able to see the good in that at the time. Probably that it was happening. Neither would anyone else. Tragic story. But God was in it all. As I say, it can be not all that easy to grasp. Does it get God off the hook? Maybe. Maybe not. Well, actually, there is one thing to consider. Because in the New Testament, we see how God got himself very much on the hook of human suffering by coming down to earth, by being born as a man, by ultimately enduring suffering beyond anything we could ever imagine. Jesus, from his birth, would have known the scandal of being known as someone who was conceived out of marriage. That would have been scandalous in those days. He would have had a lot of abuse and comments. His family would have been shunned. He and his family actually became refugees because of Herod, and they fled for their lives and became refugees in Egypt when he was still a toddler. The Bible tells us about Jesus that he was despised and rejected by people. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And then later on in his life, it says one that we read that one of his closest friends even denied knowing him when he was arrested. Someone who said he would always stick by him, but as soon as he was arrested said, I don't even know him. He knew the pain of that. Another of his followers, his friends, betrayed him to the authorities, which actually led to his arrest. He ended up in a kangaroo court. False charges were leveled against him. He was whipped badly, beaten, He was nailed to a cross through his hands and his feet and he endured the agony that was crucifixion, a horrible way of dying nails and the slow suffocation before he died. But even with all this, that wasn't the greatest agony that he endured. You see, Jesus had lived for all eternity in a perfect relationship with his father, his heavenly father, and that was cut off at the end of his life. We can't fathom what that was like. For Jesus to lose that intimate love of the Father that he'd always known for all eternity. And he bore that exclusion from God so that we could know God. You see, the human race, we all deserve to not know God, to not be in relationship with our Heavenly Father because we have sinned against him. But Jesus had never Yet he took on board what we deserved, the sin, the punishment. And on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Echoed the words from Psalm 22. But at that moment of his death, he truly was forsaken by God because God's wrath for sin was being poured out on him and not on us. And yet he willingly endured it and he went to the cross for us. God became uniquely and fully human in Christ Jesus. And he knows firsthand loneliness and poverty and bereavement and torture and imprisonment. He went through all that himself. He went beyond it on the cross and endured cosmic rejection and pain. And in his death, God suffers in love. And he identifies with the abandoned and those who feel God-forsaken. Why? Because this was God's rescue mission for creation. This was what God did to change things. He came to pay our sins so that someday he could end all suffering and all evil and he wouldn't need to end us as he did it. And we still don't know the full reason why God allows pain and suffering But we do know something when we look at the Bible. We do know beyond all doubt what the reason God allows suffering is not. It isn't that he doesn't love us. We know it's not that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he's indifferent to our suffering, that he doesn't care. It can't be that he's detached because in fact he takes our suffering so seriously he was willing to take it on himself. And thirdly, the future. When we suffer, we need to know our suffering's not in vain. Surely there's some future hope. We all know this. We, we hear of people, maybe relatives of people who've died or suffered in some way, who say, I really hope my loved one's death or suffering will make a difference to others. We see it in a number of different ways. We, we see it in, in someone like Terry Fox, who was sick, endured suffering, but yet, look to make a difference to others. We see it in the death of George Floyd, where the hope is that his death will inspire people to rise up and seek justice and equality. We see it at Remembrance Day, like we see this year, this, this week, where people who have fought and died in horrific wars and battles we say there must be a way that we're going to see wars come to an end and these deaths will not be in vain. They're for something greater. And the suffering of Jesus was not in vain. God raised Jesus to life again, showing that the ultimate enemy, death, had been conquered. And the Bible tells us that a day is coming when God will restore all things to himself the way that they were meant to be. In Revelation 21, it says, On that day, God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Do you see the future hope that the Bible is holding out for us, that God is holding out for us? It's saying that every horrible thing, every terrible thing that has ever happened will be undone, will be repaired. God is going to bring about a restoration of the life that we always wanted to have, that deep down inside, the way that we knew life should be, it shouldn't be like this. And the Bible tells us that there is hope. Jesus' death and suffering was not in vain. It was all God's plan. Yes, evil people intended to harm him. And they did. And they killed him. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God was always in control and he always intended it for good. And Jesus' pain and suffering, horrendous as it was, was not in vain. And our suffering doesn't need to be in vain either. Our friends, the Grieves family, knew and loved God. They'd understood how Jesus had died to restore them to a relationship with their Heavenly Father. They'd known the forgiveness of their sins and yet they suffered such a horrific tragedy. The story made the headlines in the national media at Christmas of 2012 because the killing was so senseless and so unprovoked and horrific. And the two men were quickly arrested. They were found very quickly and they were charged. And there was such an outpouring of hate and revulsion towards them from people. And it was expressed in the headlines, in the newspapers and on the TV. But very soon, the headlines began to change as the press and others began to speak to Alan's widow, Maureen. And everyone was amazed by what they heard from her. Because Maureen didn't speak of hate and she didn't speak of anger. She spoke of her deep grief and her loss But she also spoke of forgiveness, her hope and her prayer of forgiveness for Ashley Foster and Jonathan Bowling, who had killed her husband of 40 years. She spoke about how she prayed for them, that yes, justice would be done, but how they would come to know the love of Jesus. as Her family themselves had come to know the love of Jesus. When she spoke of them, she spoke of them by their first names. And at the trial, where they were found guilty and sentenced to imprisonment, she would talk with their families, and they would hug, and they stood together. It was an incredibly powerful story and time. You may not be able to grasp the accent too well, but I'm gonna play you a short clip of Maureen talking about that time and how it's only by the grace of God that she was able to forgive her husband's killers.
1: My name is Maureen Greaves, and I work for Church Army at St Saviour's Church at High Green Sheffield. I truly love my work, and I hope to go on working for another few years yet, but when I look back on my life, um, I have served as an evangelist ever since my conversion, and it's been an absolute joy. In fact, I think, personally, there's no better job in the world then be able to tell the people about Jesus and God's love for them, and for them to know God's love and be set free. My husband, Alan, was murdered on Christmas Eve 2012 by two young men, Jonathan Bowling and Ashley Foster. When I was a very young girl uh, and became a Christian, I absolutely understood what Jesus had done for me on the cross. Uh, I knew I was a truly forgiven woman uh, both for my past sins, my present sins, and those that I might commit in the future and I've lived with that for 40 years. Uh, I haven't been a woman that's found it easy to forgive. Uh, in fact, in my younger days, I really would have called myself somebody that didn't forgive people, sometimes not at all, or, or not easily. But because of what Jesus has done for me, I have grown over the years with the ability to forgive people much more easily. And so on Christmas Day, uh, as Alan lay dying, uh, I found by the grace of God that I was fully able, and it truly is by the grace of God, that I was fully able to forgive whoever had murdered him and to place him within God's hands so that he could love them, deal with them and mete out his justice to them. And I truly hope that one day they both of them uh, will discover God's love for themselves.
0: As Maureen said on there, She's always loved telling people about Jesus. (laughs) Best job in the world, she says. And of course, she'd never have wanted to lose her husband in such a way. But she goes on and she talks about how all that has happened has opened up so many doors and opportunities for her to be able to tell people about Jesus, about a God who came to suffer, who became human and suffered and died for us. She's been on many TV shows in the UK and been interviewed, done radio interviews, magazine interviews, articles have been written about what happened and about her response to it. And every time she's spoken to us, she uses it to tell people about the God who she loves and who loves her and a God who forgives. At the time of Alan's death, it was impossible to see why God might have allowed it to happen. And we may still have some big questions about it, but maybe there's just a glimmer of understanding now as to why God allowed it. (laughs) for The saving of many lives. So why does God allow suffering? Oftentimes we do just have to say we don't know. But I hope we can see this morning that suffering doesn't tell us that God isn't real. Suffering doesn't tell us that God doesn't care. I actually hope this morning that we can see that rather than leaving us alone in our suffering, God has entered into it in the person of Jesus. He endured what we endure and more. And then on the cross, he defeated the power of suffering and sickness and death so that its days are numbered. There is eternal hope in Jesus for a future without suffering. I pray this morning that all of us will find that hope and strength in Jesus today. For those of us who are currently suffering, I pray that we'll be able to lean on the everlasting arms of a God who truly loves us. Angela and the band, would you like to come back up? We'll sing that song, Everlasting Arms. Why don't we stand together? I'll just pray as Angela and the band get ready. Father God, we come to you and we just say, we don't understand everything. There is so much that is a mystery to us. There's so much that will probably remain a mystery to us. But Lord, I thank you that we can see in your word that you are a good God, that you are a powerful God, that you have reasons for why you do what you do, even if we don't see them. And I pray, Lord, that we would know more of your love and we would lean on that love until that day that comes when there is no more death and no more sickness and no more suffering and the world is as we know it should be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.